Clark's story began almost 200 years ago when Cyrus and James Clark made a slipper from sheepskin. At the time, it was groundbreaking, a combination of invention and craftsmanship that remain at the heart of what Clark's does. From the very beginning, Clark's has always thought differently. Brilliant ideas are what sets Clark's apart. We are teaming up with Clark's and Podgo to bring you up to 30% off select items, including on the iconic Clark's Desert Boot by going to podgo.co slash Clark's. That's podgo.co slash Clark's. What up, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the Black Expat Podcast. My name is Carl, and I'm excited to be rocking with you guys for yet another episode. I am so very excited to bring you guys part four of the Her Story tribute to Women's History Month that is going on the entire month of March. Uh, And I will be joined today by an amazing individual named Christine Job. I have updated some amazing videos to YouTube. If you haven't already, make sure you go to my YouTube and check those videos out. Like, subscribe, share, all those things. I appreciate the support I've gotten on YouTube which has inspired me to put more footage and more things up there. So I'm excited for you guys to check that out. But as I said before, I'm really excited to be joined today by an amazing uh, person. And I think she's in the studio and we are ready to get our interview underway. Hello, Christine. Are you there? I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes, you're coming in loud and clear. How are you doing today in Spain? Yeah, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How are you in Taiwan? I am doing great. It is 8 p.m. I had a very long day last or a long evening last night at the bar. We had maybe 60 people there and it was just myself and one other person. So I'm just catching up on rest. But overall, I'm doing very well. Oh, my goodness. That sounds amazing. And like a lifetime away from like the COVID situation here in Barcelona, being able to go out to a bar with 60 people is like so, so far away. Oh, that's right. You guys are still on lockdown, right? Uh, we're in a very strange kind of situation. A lot of Europe is kind of going back into lockdown, but Spain is not because (laughs) (laughs) tourism is more important than anything. So right now we are actually loosening restrictions and we will see how that goes the next two weeks. Okay, well, I'm I'm hoping it gets better out there. I mean, I haven't really followed it that closely, to be honest, but I know that I have friends out there and they're saying the same. It's just, it's kind of all over the place in Europe, um, similar to what it's been in America for the past year. But if you don't mind, can we just jump right into the interview? Would you mind just introducing yourself, uh, where you're currently located, a little bit about your background, um, and what led you to um, being in Spain for as long as you've been so far? Sure. So, hey, everyone. I'm Christine Job. I am currently in Barcelona, Spain, but I'm from Atlanta, Georgia, and I always wanted to live abroad ever since I was 17. I studied abroad in Valencia, Spain, and I really try to figure out how to make it happen to really like no no avail for the longest time. I was definitely one of those people that was like, I'll do anything. And that is of course not the way to go about it. Um, but I, I always wanted to live abroad and I was trying to figure it out. 
You know, I went to university, I went to law school, and it wasn't until after I'd graduated from law school, I had traveled, and I really had a really big disappointment in my life where I was actually supposed to move to Kuala Lumpur and it kind of fell through, that my life really took like a really strange turn. Um, I got kind of called to walk the Camino de Santiago, which is a pilgrimage across Spain, which is about 800 kilometers, 500 miles. And that just changed everything. Um, it was a healing, healing time for me. But also it made me really fall in love with the country of Spain so, so much with the people and just everything. And after that, I knew, oh, yeah, I'm going to move to Spain for sure. But, you know, it, it took a while. I, I was a, a highly ambitious and highly burnt out entrepreneur in Atlanta. And I really couldn't figure out a way to make that happen for me in a way that made sense. And in a, in a way that made sense was really like in a way that looked good to other people. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I finally decided to like, you know what, I'm, I'm tired and I don't really feel good. Like I need to have a pause. And so I decided to take like a sabbatical, a career pause, and go to Spain for nine months to teach English, just to do something radically different and to give myself the time and the space just to breathe and to recenter. And, you know, I landed in Spain and I haven't ever returned. I was like, oh, this is the lifestyle that I need. And I just, I started in La Rioja and then I moved to a bigger city here in Barcelona. And I was like, yeah, I'm not going to go back to the States. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so like once you arrived in Spain, I know you originally planned to, um, you planned to be there for nine months teaching. I mean, working in education, but like what were some of the things that actually kept you there um, and helped you make the decision to say, you know, I, I'm actually not returning to America. This is where I'm supposed to be. And I just feel much better here than I feel compared to being back home in America. You know, for me, it was actually so many small things, which I think is, uh, I think people think like, it's this profound feeling or something. And it's not. I think it's literally these small instances. For example, the time that, the time that stores and people even uh, open and the people start waking up. I used to wake up at 4 a.m. in Atlanta and be at the gym by, at, by 5. And I loved it because I'm like an early bird. But like in Spain, that's not happening. They're like, what? <laughs> like 7 a.m. is like really pushing it. They're like, calm down. And it's those little things where you have to adjust and stop being an autopilot for me that made me like sit and reflect. For example, siesta. Now, siesta is a is a concept that is not like widely practiced in Spain anymore. Um, but I was living in northern Spain, and they were still they still have a siesta culture of just basically having a pause in the middle, middle of the day to have lunch, perhaps take a nap. But it's like everybody goes home and chills, right? Mm -hmm. And in theory, it sounds lovely. But, you know, this like type A Capricorn hyper ex law person that I am was like, what do you mean? Like, <laughs> I'm just supposed to like go home, but I have other things to do. And if I could just get them done, then I could be done. And I that kind of like dissonance 
helped me to really figure out what the heck was going on with me. Like, why can't you sit still? Like, dang, it's just a nap. It's just a pause. Like, <laughs> what's that about? And it's that kind of like, okay, I need to figure out what that's going on. Like, what's what's that about for me? That then led me to say, I actually like this pause. I don't got to go to sleep. I started taking afternoon baths. And I was like, mm. this is the life, actually. Like, I took a bubble <laughs> bath at 2 p.m. This is the life. And that started switching things for me because all of a sudden, this incessant urgency to always be doing something, always be achieving something, was not being reflected in my society. People were like looking at me like I was nuts. And I realized that there was just different ways to live life. And that kind of gave me permission to continue making different choices for my life. And I knew that what felt right for me wasn't um, the societal construct that the United States has, has built itself upon. And what a lot of my beautiful and very talented and very smart friends are, are participating in that wasn't for me. I knew I wanted to make a different choice. And living in Spain, um, it really, really like forced me to really stand in my truth. Wow. I mean, and I, I, I want to touch on so many aspects of what you just said, but I think you'll cover it in the second part of the question I'm going to ask. But before I get to that, I do want to say I am also a Capricorn and I also felt the exact same way um, about a lot of things because I am very... Uh, I. I don't like having gaps in my schedule or I didn't like having gaps in my schedule. And I always felt like I needed to be doing something in order to feel fulfilled just in my daily life. Right. And that's like always wanting to feel like I've accomplished something that I'm working toward a major goal. And I think becoming an entrepreneur abroad, that was a moment for me where I actually had to, was able to step back and say, you know what, I need, it's okay to, to rest and to not be doing something because my business didn't open until 7 PM. So there wasn't anything else for me to do during the day regarding the business because it was all pretty much taken care of. But man, that's such an interesting perspective. But um, with what you just said, so I know you talk about this uh, on, on your podcast and many of the other things that you do as well. Um, but from your experience uh, and your research, how has or how can living abroad be a pathway to complete wellness? Yeah, so this is something I didn't I didn't move abroad with this kind of concept. Like I said before, I moved abroad because I was like, I am exhausted and I don't like this. It was basically very simple. Like, I don't like this. Let me try something different for at least a little while so I can collect my thoughts. And what I discovered, though, is that I did have an intention. I set the intention of I want to feel better. Just just plain. I want to feel better. And by setting that intention, and keeping that to the forefront of my mind and everything that I was doing and trying to participate in, I realized that for me to feel better, I needed to figure out what was making me feel unwell. And what I found was that it was in truly the contrast that I was butting up against between American hyper-capitalist kind of culture and, and Spanish culture. That's where I started to find the answers for myself. It was really in that dissonance. It was in that, what do you mean, like, y'all not open? You know, like, you guys just put a piece of notebook paper on the door and be like, we done. We're done today. And actually, for the rest of the week, we decided to take the week off. It's like, what do you mean? You mean you don't want this money and stuff like this? Like, that's super American. 
And you realize that there are plenty of cultures, there's plenty of people around the world that are not beholden to every dollar or euro or whatever that comes their way. And what a life that is when you don't have to be, right? And so I started to lean into that discomfort instead of saying, y'all are doing it wrong or like, I don't know why y'all do it like that. I started to really sit in it and understand that this was a choice. And I started to ask myself, is it that this choice and this dissonance that I'm feeling, is this coming up from a place of fear and I need to be safe? Is it coming up from a place of confusion because I don't understand? Is it coming up from a place of just stubbornness because this is not familiar and the way that I do it is familiar and therefore must be the right way? It was when I started to sit in that dissonance, in that contrast, then I started to realize that I could make a different choice that did not, that actually wasn't going to um, harm me or put me in a dangerous space. Because a lot of times the resistance that we feel, the reason why we feel it so strongly, it's kind of like a, like a fight or flight re- reflex. And it's really strange because you're like, it's just breakfast. You know, like whatever the situation is, it's like they don't have my cereal. It's just breakfast. Like, why am I feeling so strongly about the situation? And when we can sit in it and observe and we can say, I will try, I'll be open to a different choice is when I think our life really starts opening up. And I think that's when we can actually start being um, instead of kind of spectators of culture, we can start actually being participants in our community and in our, in the culture that we have kind of adopted. But also it is the pathway to wellness because, you know, if everything was cool before, then we would have been straight, but we weren't. We were unwell in some capacity, perhaps financially unwell, professionally, mentally, physically, what have you. And if we sit in that space of discomfort, which is truly just us resisting what we know, resisting the familiar, we can actually start seeing, you know, just the beauty and the truth in the differences in in the culture that that is trying to communicate to us, like trying to say, hey, chill out. There's another way. And and that is what I have discovered personally. But also it's something that I've gathered from the many women I have interviewed from my podcast, Flourish in the Foreign, is that, you know, living abroad can be a transformative experience, but it is not in the act of simply moving to a place and being like, well, I live in Mexico now, so my life is different, you know, like it doesn't really happen. It has to be a conscious choice. You have to be, you know, an active participant in your life and you need to lean into those situations that feel uncomfortable because they have so much wisdom and they have so much beauty. And if we allow ourselves to to really allow our minds to be changed or at least shifted or molded in a, a different way, it allows us to see our life in a different way. Um, because a lot of times what we believe is possible for us or what we should want and the things that we think are we are capable of doing are really dictated to us by our, our society, our home society, and from our home life. And when you kind of embrace a different culture and a different way of life, it allows you to break free of some of those things, or at least, you know, deeply consider them or reconsider (laughs) them. 
and it frees you because you realize that, you know, I'm over here doing things completely different. I'm observing all these other people who are thriving and the sky is not falling because I'm not doing it the way that I have been conditioned. And it is really powerful. It's really powerful. And I think that a lot of the women that I've, I've interviewed have, have just experienced a feeling of deep empowerment, but also a deep sense of trust in self. Like, I actually know what's best for me. I know what I truly want for my life. And the vision that I hold for my life is right. And they actually have this deep trust knowing. And I think that comes from living abroad as well. So how so how how has this journey been for you then? Because I mean, you know, when I uh, you know moved from from America from Chicago specifically to Taiwan, um, it did take a lot of adjusting, and I do think that my mindset and the way that I went about doing things did shift. But it was more of a gradual process. Um, I did come into Taiwan with a very open mind and willing to accept a culture that was very different from mine, and not. Uh, compare and contrast every little thing that happened as a way to help myself mentally not go insane, but also just to embrace the experience that I was being a part of. But like, what was your journey like? Was it easy uh, for you to switch between the way that you were when you were living in Atlanta and you're an entrepreneur there versus when you're in Spain? Uh, were there moments for you where you were like, you know what, I need to find that balance between the two? Or were you able to just free yourself from the restraint and the constraints that you had being in America and just fully embrace Spain uh, without even looking back upon it. I wish I would have been able to just fully embrace Spain. Like I thought I was going to. I was like, yeah, I'm moving. But you know, you know, these habits, they die hard. You know, this belief dies hard. And for me, it was like I, I needed to hit walls. I needed to get hit by cosmic two by fours. Like I needed it to be <laughs> like, look, you are not in the United States. Okay, no, move on. And so, and but I think I think maybe because I'm hard headed, so I needed it. I needed it for sure. And I think it was it was definitely rough at times, but it was never it was never a feeling like it was never an overwhelming feeling. It was like a constant reminder for me to mentally shift. If anything, it was like you're not there anymore and that's okay. You don't need to be scheduled from the moment you open your eyes to the moment you close your eyes without any kind of bedtime or anything, you just like pass out. Like that's not necessary for you to feel fulfilled, to feel productive, to feel good about yourself. It's not mm -hmm. necessary at all. Um, but it was hard. It, it was hard. I, I learned the hard way a couple of times, but I'm grateful for it because, like I said, you know, those experiences now I can laugh at, but that's what you need. You need that kind of, or at least me, I needed that harsh reality to be like, nobody's doing that. Like, you could get up at 4 a.m. if you want to, especially I was living in La Rioja. <laughs> so that's like the smallest community that I've in Spain. And they're like, you can do that. Not even the train station is open. Like you, you could just be by yourself and just work on that. Um, but after the first year, I think I, it's been better and better each, each and every year for sure, because there's nothing um, equivalent to the, to the American kind of um, 
ambition and dog-eat-dog kind of mentality in Spain. Even in Madrid and in Barcelona, which, you know, there are the cosmopolitan European cities. Um, no, like, no, not at all. You know, I go to like the startup, you know, the startup meetings and everyone's like talking about all these, you know, entrepreneurial buzzwords and everyone's like to crush it and kill it and all this other stuff. And I'm like, y'all are not even on five at all. And I love that. I love that y'all think you're on 10. <laughs> Y'all not even on five. I love it because I need that because I don't need to be fed with that kind of craziness. So um, it's been it's been good for me. It's been good. It's been gradual, but it's been good because I don't have those like outside um, forces. I don't have peers that are going to um, try to reinforce those kind of negative or detrimental habits. Mm. So I know for me, I, well, I know earlier when we were talking, you mentioned um, how you ended up in Spain because you decided to take a sabbatical, right, from what you were doing back home in Atlanta um, and to just go out and do something new. I know for me, um, and here's, it, it's, it's interesting because I went, I graduated college right away and then I moved to China for a month and I moved to Taiwan and I started living and working here. And I was here for seven years and then I actually decided to take a sabbatical and go back home because I actually wanted to figure out if where I was currently in Taiwan after being here for seven years was where I needed to be for the rest of my life or if I needed to shift, you know, if I needed to go back home and if that was the place I was supposed to be. So I wanted to just give myself a different perspective because most of my adult life had been spent living and working in Taiwan. Like I knew, I understood the culture of working here, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so my sabbatical was actually the opposite. I went back home to kind of rediscover myself. But for you, um, you know, what was your sabbatical like? And what are the benefits in your, like, from, from your perspective of taking a sabbatical abroad when leaving America to kind of go to a different place in the world to kind of, you know, figure out the things that you need to figure out um, and what your next steps are? Yeah. So I'll first say, I think taking a sabbatical is something that should be promoted way more in American culture. Just like taking a gap year should be something that we promote. I think taking a career sabbatical and I think taking it throughout your career, not just, you know, maybe you want to do research when you're in your 40s or 50s or 60s or something like that. Like, I think it's important to have moments to reassess, especially in our culture, which is we like lock and load and we're like, well, this is who I am and this is what defines me. And I guess that's what I'm going to be until I die. Um, I think it's important to take a pause and to, and to think about it. And I think going abroad is essential because it's so important that we see a different way of living and doing, especially in our work culture. You know, we, you know, American propaganda is of such that we're number one in everything. And then you move abroad and you're like, actually, we're not number one in anything or anything great. You're like, <laughs> it's actually in the Summer Olympics, maybe sometimes, but like most things that you would really want to be number one in, not so much. So it's important for us to to get that space. And then work culture, because we think like, well, we, we're really productive. We're most productive. And it's like, actually, we're not. And like, there are other cultures. <laughs> that work less and are highly like way more productive and have great work-life balance and have way more you know festivals and holidays and things like that it's important that you know we have that time to really start knowing the truth about the situation 
American news is American centric and then has some kind of, you know, strange little notes about other parts of the world that seems very far away and really has nothing to do with us or whatever. You go abroad and you realize, oh, there's an entire world. We're all very much interconnected. This is how we're interconnected. This is why it's important to this region, to that region, and all that kind of stuff. That's why you have to go abroad. We have to literally get out of the American propaganda soup. Like, you got to get out of it so that you can really take at least a more um, sober approach to your life and your work. Even if you decide to go back to the United States and you're like, that's what I want to do. I think it's important because a lot of times the pressures that we feel and the the cycle that people are on, it feels like it's inescapable. Uh, and sometimes it is, but for a lot of us, it isn't. It just it's a feeling because that's how that's the only thing that we know. So going abroad and taking that pause, whether it be to do research or is it, if it's just to chill or to do something completely different, I think it's important because I think it really resets you. It resets the things that are important to you. It resets the things that truly interest you. It resets the things that you really want to put um, your life energy towards <laughs> and want to rock out <laughs> for the rest of your life. And I, it, I think it's vital for it to be outside the States because it, it's, it's so important to see how other people live their life. It's so important to see, you know, what are other people's pension systems looking like and, and, and compare and contrast? Like, and what other benefits, you know, are other people enjoying that we have to fight, you know, tooth and nail and people are still like, mm, I don't think you guys really deserve it in the States. It's yeah. important because then you're like, hold up, wait a minute. Maybe I don't want to be working to the freaking bone for for this. Maybe there's a different way to, to live life. So I'll say that first is so important. And for me, um, you know, my sabbatical was a humbling experience because I was used to being, you know, overachiever and doing things that looked good on paper. And people were like, yeah, she's doing it. And I had to be like, I want to go abroad and I'm physically immensely tired. I wasn't in a position at that time in my life to even admit it. I wasn't even in a position in my life where I could even admit that I was suffering from depression and anxiety. And I was like, oh, I'm going to go abroad, not with this like really fancy, cool job, um, but I'm going to teach English to three-year-olds and I'm just going to see how that works out. And I'm going to do it in a place called Lagronio where people are like, what? Spade? Like, like they have flamenco dancers there? Like, no, it's in Northern Spain. There's no flamenco dancers. Like in a completely <laughs> not sexy or interesting and in, from the outward, you know, appearance. So it was a really humbling experience for me um, in that kind of respect. But I think what it also it made me realize is that I've been living my life for everyone else. I've been living my life for my parents, you know, getting straight A's, going to college. I've been living my life for my peers and, and, and wanting to show them and prove to them, like, I'm your equal. And we are like, I'm, I can hang out in this club, too. You know what I mean? Like, I, <laughs> I am the one and I'm striving for these things that I don't even want. Like, I don't want this stuff. I don't want it. And admitting that was really crazy for me. That's the humbling thing about, you know, going abroad was like, I decided to go abroad and take that sabbatical 
And it kind of, it broke me down in a lot of ways because I had a lot of time on my hands <laughs> to think. <laughs> and I was realizing that I didn't want the things that I had been conditioned to want. Um, I didn't want the lifestyle. And I thought to myself, well, then if I don't want these things, then who am I? Like, what does that mean? Am I a loser? Am I lame? What, what does that mean? <laughs> and I had, to, I had to decide what that meant for myself. And, and that was what was so profound because I can't imagine what my life would be like had I not taken that sabbatical because I wasn't interested in getting help for my mental wellness at the time. I wasn't interested because that was weak. That was, you know, like, you're a punk. Like, I can handle anything. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm just sad all the time and I can't breathe <laughs> most of the time. Like, there's nothing wrong. Um you know, I can't imagine what my life would be like. And so that that sabbatical changed everything. It changed how I see myself, how I define myself. And I really decided and, and discovered that I was worthy of my own validation. And that was all I needed, you know? No, yeah, and I, and I, I can definitely, and like, I definitely understand that uh, completely. I know for me, uh, you know, growing up, uh, you know, you have all these goals and things that you think that you want to do. Like, I want to have this fancy car and have all these fancy clothes. Uh, and it was really material based. And then I think living abroad for me definitely uh, led me to like, I'm definitely not as materialistic as I was when I was growing up. Um, I live I live very minimally. Like, I don't need a lot of things to to get through the day or to get through my life anymore. My um, value experiences more than other things. And I think that's something that I kind of I, that, that came for me at a very, very early age compared to some of my peers as well. Like I was 23, 24 years old saying, yeah, I don't need a car. I don't need, I can take the bus or I can walk because I'm instead going to spend this money on a plane ticket to another country to go travel and learn new things. So um, that's, it's, it's, it definitely was a shift in mindset, just being abroad um, and being in, in a different place in a different space. I know one of the things that, that you touched on though was um, how, uh, how it's valuable when taking a sabbatical if, if you are a professional or if, or no matter what your profession is uh, to see different jobs and different ways of doing things. So, and then how could, how can moving abroad then uh, help boost or provide more opportunities for uh, people professionally um, in your opinion as well? Yeah. Um, moving abroad does something really interesting um, professionally. Um, it allows you to see how your skills and your talents are being applied in the country you've moved to. And sometimes we like to do things apple to apples. And sometimes that's just like, that's not the move, right? Like sometimes you need, in your country, you need this specific engineer. In another country, they may not need it, but you still have so much value. And your value is it's beyond your job titles and even your education. It's your lived experience. It's basically like, how can you put all these things together? And I think that's what's so interesting about living abroad and really really being interested in a country and seeing how it works, the community, seeing what are the, um, I guess, important pillars that the government might be trying to gr um, grow economically, trying to see like, what what is the emphasis here? What are people trying to achieve and how can I help to do that? Because 
I mean, that, I think that is, that's a cheat code, right? A lot of people try to move abroad <laughs> with a job or something like that. And they try to be like, well, this is what my job position is called here. And do you have that there? I'm like, that's not the move. The move is to take your talents and your expertise, right? And, but that also requires introspection. That also requires you to really know yourself, um, to, to understand what was the value you delivered to people, but also what was the value within the value? Because sometimes, like a lot of us, we had a job title and then we did a lot of other stuff that was outside of our job title, right? And we did, a, <laughs> and we did things that people would only come to us for, that we weren't necessarily paid for, right? But we were like the problem solver for this one thing, whether it was party planning for the office or what have you, dealing with a certain vendor, whatever it was that was outside of our job description, we did, and we were the ones that made it happen. That is the cheat code. Because if we know ourselves, we know that we are way beyond you know, these job descriptions, and we know that we can piece these experiences and these technical skills and soft skills together, and then we can package it for any kind of opportunity that may come our way that fits those things. And so that's what's so important about going abroad and, and really being and living in a community and not kind of bouncing on, off the surface like a lot of expats like to do. Like I live here, but you're like, you're just floating on, on the surface, right? If, you know, and maybe you don't need to, you don't need to be immersed. But if you're looking to, you know, move abroad and get a job and things like that, and you're not getting transferred by a multinational, it behooves you to start really understanding how your community works. How does business get done in a country? What are the what are the cultural values? What are the goals? And seeing how you can be of service in that way to package it. That that is so profound. And for me, I've been able to do that several times over. Um, which has been interesting at different at various levels of Spanish. <laughs> it's like <laughs> because the thing is, is if you if you got it and if you can solve a problem, you can solve a problem, and you just have to be able to identify the problem and to offer services. And a lot of crazy and amazing things can happen, even if it's not a yes. It is now someone who's part of your network. Um, but that requires a different type of, of thinking about about work and community that I think sometimes people don't catch on. Oh no, absolutely! Like, again, like everything that I, I I definitely one hundred percent absolutely agree with. Um, it's it's pretty spot on. I definitely I've always I had this conversation the other day with one of my friends about hiring managers and recruiters and um, some of the training programs that she was looking to develop for for them. And one of them was taking hiring managers and recruiters um, just on sabbaticals, but in different locations throughout the world and doing like a one to two week exchange with country with companies that are similar to, to what they do in their home countries, whether it's America or wherever, taking to a completely different country and actually just sitting back and observing the way that they do things and how they, they interact with employees, um, how they utilize uh, uh, people's unique skill sets um, and things like that and how beneficial that could be, uh, you know, when you're actually hiring for it, whether it's your own business or for another company and how you're looking to build it team. It's not just about hiring somebody, right? It's about team building and putting people in places where they will excel and be at their best. So again, I can definitely relate to everything that you said was just amazing. But Flourish in the Foreign, uh, I know you talked a little, a little bit about it earlier when we were discussing um, um, sabbaticals um, and research and pathway to wellness, but uh, can you talk a bit about 
your podcast, Flourish in the Foreign, um, how it started, um, and what impact you're looking to make with it as well. Yeah, so my podcast is Flourish in the Foreign. It's all about elevating and affirming the voices and stories of Black women living and thriving abroad. Basically, you know, just doing the damn thing while looking damn good doing <laughs> it. Um, but also exploring living abroad as a pathway to wellness. And I wanted to create it um, for two reasons, really. One, like I said before, I knew I wanted to live abroad since I was 17. And it took me, you know, dang on almost 17, well, maybe like 12 years to make it happen. So it took me <laughs> a long time to, to really um, experience that. And I think one of the reasons why was that I just didn't see a lot of people that looked like me doing it. You know, I graduated from university in 2009, which was not a great time to graduate from university. Um, <laughs> and I was trying to figure out how to go abroad. And I remember going through like my mom's Rolodex and I was like, who do you know that's ever lived abroad ever? And she'd be like, uh, these people. And I would just call random people. And, you know, like I was, I couldn't, I knew I wanted to, but I couldn't see it yet in my mind, which is, I think is a little bit of a problem, right? You got to see it in some kind of capacity for, for me, you need to be able to internalize that. You need to be able to know it, that that's possible for you. And because I wasn't necessarily centered or anchored with a career, I was like, I'll do anything. And I think that's why it didn't really come to pass for a really long time. And so part of creating Flourish in the Foreign is, by, is to create um, like an anecdotal resource bank so that more and more people can just see these black women who are doing it. And these are not recent, as you know, like some people think this is like a recent phenomenon. And it's like, no, it's not <laughs> you know, like 20, 30, 40 years. Like they've been out here and they have been doing it. And so I wanted to create something like that, that could help people who maybe were in my position. They were like, I don't know anybody. Do we even do this? The answer is yes, we do this. And here are some stories. The second reason I created Flourish in the Foreign was because through travel and living abroad, I got really tired of um, particularly white people um, questioning um, why I was in this space, right? So here in Barcelona, I'd be, I was at like a startup event and this white Australian guy asked me kind of like accusingly, like, what are you doing here? Like, and I questioned him about like the startup thing. Like I've worked in startups here in Barcelona and he tried to backpedal, you know, like they try to do. And I was like, not having it. I wasn't having it because, you know, as an Australian and me as an American, both of us, you know, immigrating into the European Union is a feat. It's not easy. Like for us to move to Spain, it, it, you know, we didn't we didn't just like overstay our visa or I didn't overstay my visa. You know, we have to really be intentional about that move. And I just got really sick and tired of that because I know that, you know, the mainstream narrative of being an expat, a digital nomad, location independent, whatever, even an ambassador, a diplomat, is never people who look like us, even though we do this. And we do it all the time we've been doing it. And I just thought to myself, you know, I'm not waiting for mainstream media to pick up on the fact that we do this to affirm us. Because if and when they do become interested, they're gonna mess up our story 
period, because that's what they do. They like to bastardize everything. So it's like, all right, I wanted to create a platform for us, by us. I wanted us to tell our own stories in our own voice um, and with questions that were nuanced, that weren't just like, all right, so you're abroad and that like things that actually are important for us in, in our experience, understanding that. You know, the black experience across the diaspora is is not monolithic. And having that conversation, too, because had mainstream media picked it up, they'd just be like, well, all black people do this abroad. The end. You know, instead of really yeah. having a deep dive, a nuanced conversation about, you know, black identity and all of the ways that it manifests and all the ways that people embody it and what that means to different people from different places and how they how they are received and perceived in different spaces. Like it's a whole different thing. And I wanted us to tell our own stories. So that's why I created it. And honestly, it has been such a blessing. I launched it this past May and cause you know, lockdown, severe lockdown here in Spain <laughs> during that time. <laughs> and I was like, well, I ain't got nothing else to do. And it has taken off so beautifully. I mean, just recently surpassed 15,000 downloads, creating a really amazing community. And people are just really gravitating to the stories of these women who are, who are telling their stories, you know, that are provocative, that are controversial, that are whatever. But it's like, it's their life. And I think people are really gravitating towards that because it's so relatable in that way when you allow people to be fully seen, when you allow people to define their own narrative, um, it's beautiful and it's freeing for so many people. And it gives them them, them uh, confidence and courage to keep on going. So that is Flourish in the Foreign. I love it so much. As you know, podcasting ain't easy. So it's, it's, it's a job, but it's, it's really a passion of mine. So like, how have you um, found found women to interview uh, do you focus mainly on women in Spain or are you open to interviewing women no matter where they're located in the world no I interview women all over the world I've interviewed women in Bangladesh in Australia in Singapore in Uganda Rwanda Sierra Leone Mexico Colombia like all over the world all over the world. Iceland um, I how did I find them? Well, I start with the very first episode is a dear friend of mine. And then from there on, I found people on Facebook and YouTube. And then after about like 20 kind of cold emails that I sent out, then people started finding me. And mm. then that has been a thing now is that people reach out to me and I don't necessarily have to go out and search for for women and that's been fantastic. It's been really, really humbling and also super overwhelming. <laughs> but <laughs> but it's, it's been wonderful um, because that, that's the thing, you know, this weird fear of like, you know, will there be enough women to talk about? Of course. And then it's like, will anyone listen besides my mom? Yes. So <laughs> it's like, it's, it's been amazing. <laughs> yeah, mom, moms are the best. They're like the number one. So yeah. 
Yeah, because I know, uh, again, I definitely can relate to that. It's always and it's very humbling when people reach out to you and say, hey, I would like to be on your show. Can you can you interview me? And I know for me, like when I started, it was just basically me sharing my own stories. And I'm like, you know what? I, I'm traveling a lot. And I do because at first I wasn't seeing a lot of black people traveling 10 years ago. And then I started seeing so many and then people started popping up in Taiwan. And I'm like, you know what? I definitely need to highlight their stories because like you said, um, no, like it's not out there in mainstream media yet. And even our people from our communities don't know that there are many different ways to just live life and to go abroad and to you know have different experiences, different places, whether short-term or long-term, these things are um, are very, very important. But like when I think about my podcast, there's always one episode that comes to mind that kind of sticks out for me. And I don't, I don't necessarily call it my favorite episode because I kind of love all of them. But for you, like what is one of your favorite episodes or an episode that really, really stands out to you uh, when you think about your podcast that you would recommend someone uh, going and checking out to really get a well-rounded idea about what Flourish and the Foreign is? Oh, that's so hard. Like, you know, because every episode is our favorite episode. Like, because that's the thing about podcasts that we find something that's, you know, fascinating about the storytelling. So, oh, my goodness, it's hard. You know, I would recommend the very first episode because I think that one maybe just maybe sentimental for me. I think it was a really strong one. But also, um, I have one um, with Jamila, I forget what episode number it is, but she's in Buenos Aires. And her story of how she got to Argentina is like a movie. And I told her, I was like, you need to write this up before somebody listens to this and writes it up and makes it a movie. Because she she got to Argentina, um, you know, dealing with a divorce in Seattle. And she is, you know, talking to her therapist. She's a therapist, but she's going through therapy and talking to her friend and trying to figure out what to do with her life. She's in her car. She sees a billboard for Tango. And she's like, and she tells her friend in like a mocking kind of town, like, oh, maybe I should do Tango. And her friend's like, yeah, you need to do something. You need to get, you know, move on with your life. You know, stop moping around. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and she, she signs up for, you know, the introductory class. And it's like, first, she's enamored by the shoes because she's a shoe woman. And she's just like, oh, these are cute. <laughs> and the <laughs> lady's like, these are really expensive and are for like tango dancers. And she's like, I don't care. They're cute. So she takes a class and she's like, this was amazing. And she becomes addicted to it. And it becomes her thing um, to heal her through, you know, her divorce. And then this ne next chapter of her life, she builds amazing friends and one of her amazing friends is an, you know, an Argentinian couple that has a guest house in uh, Buenos Aires and says, hey, we'd love for you to run it for us. And she decides to pack up her entire life and move to Buenos Aires and she was going to try it for a year. And she's been there for, I think, seven years, maybe more. And she's like, I live here and my work, you know, she's still a therapist, but she also has a tango business. And she goes around and she teaches people tango and has a whole touring thing. And I'm like, if this is one of the things that I think, um, I think it's an episode that really embodies the spirit of the, of the podcast because, you know, there's, it, there were ugly times throughout, you know, these kind of transitions because that's life. But I think it really reinforces this trusting yourself and betting on yourself and allowing yourself to have a different experience, if only just to have a different experience, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and how it can really change your life. 
um, in a beautiful, beautiful way. So I would say people check that one out. It's also one of the most popular ones, which was very surprising because it wasn't like, didn't have a fancy, you know, title or anything, but people really resonated with her story. And it's one of the most shared episodes as well. So y'all check that one out and let me know what you think. (laughs) (laughs) So I know, um, being abroad for as long as you have, um, and even just, you know, being being back at home and the transitions that you've gone through, um, we kind of toggle back and forth with what I put, well, my, myself, I know I've toggled back and forth with what my passions are, uh, depending on what's available to me and where I am, right? So the things that I had access to in Chicago, uh, and, and even when I was living abroad in, in, in Beijing, is just very different than what I have access to here in Taiwan in regards to my passions and how I see them, right? Because I was very passionate about basketball back in America, but then when I moved to Taiwan, it just wasn't readily accessible to me. So my passions kind of shift. My passions kind of shifted uh, during my experience living here. Um, but like, what passions have you discovered or rediscovered while living abroad in Spain? And then, how have you also managed to have managed to remain consistent um, in doing or being a part of or sharing your passions as well? Yeah. So, like I mentioned before, I used to go to the gym at five a.m. I love weight training. Like it's one of my favorite things. Um, I haven't been able to weight train for, gosh, a whole year now. I don't know when that's going to happen. So, you know, I bring that one up because, you know, I love to weight train, but not being able to do it on my own schedule at first because the gym would open so late really would just throw me off. And it really forced me to figure out a different way to get involved and because I'm kind of like, I'm an introvert, really. And I I really enjoy like morning routines and ritual. And part of my morning re- ritual is like not to talk to people for several hours when I wake up. <laughs> so I, I like to go to the gym early in the morning. And so that shifted for me because like I would try to go at different times. And I was just like, there's just too many people and I can't get in my zone. So I had to move and and do something different. And so I started to hike more, which is, you know, enough solitude (laughs) for me (laughs) so I could do that, Um, which was cool. I did. I would hike, especially when I was living in La Rioja, a lot more with some friends and would go biking. Um, Me and my friend, we actually did this. I don't even know why we did this. We did this um, overnight, like hiking competition trail it was horrible because it was like basically hiking maybe more than like a marathon in like six hours something very dumb that we did with like headlamps and that messed up our feet and our bodies for the whole week so you know the passions you try different things right you try different things and see what works or not i've gotten really into on the healthy side uh, hiking and that kind of thing, being outdoors, um, and maybe not so healthy side, or maybe depending on who you're talking to, wine, like, because Spanish wine <laughs> is abundant and it's oh, so yeah. affordable <laughs> and you realize how much you're getting ripped off in the States, you know, Man, with the import ooh. tax. <laughs> yes. So it's hard. It, it, it ruins me because I really, unless, you know, depending on where I'm traveling to, unless they have a wine region, I often don't drink wine when I'm abroad. Um, because now I'm just so used to paying like local prices and I'm just like, I can't, I'm not paying 12 euros for a glass of wine. Like, are you joking? I go buy a whole <laughs> bottle for three, like leave me alone. <laughs> 
So yeah, drinking wine has been a passion, but also, you know, terrace culture is such a passion and I can't wait till we finally get vaccinated to get back into it because, you know, the art of just sitting and people watching and kikiing with your friends for hours on end has really become a passion of mine. You know, at first it's kind of like, you know, okay, you hang out, you leave, but it's really a lifestyle and I really dig it. <laughs> I really am into it. Uh, and I can't wait to keep on, keep that going. Cause it's, it's nice. Oh yeah, absolutely. I know when I was in Spain, that was one of the, my favorite parts about it was the wine and the abundance of it, but also just the, the taste, the flavor and everything. Cause I am, you know, I have my own bar. Uh, we, we're, we're, we were, we've started off as beer guys. We used to have another podcast called Six Packs with Expats. We would actually taste different beer from around the world and talk about it and also share travel stories. But man, wine, uh, once I hit 25, wine uh, has became kind of my thing. And I do, I've tried different wines. My favorite wine though is New Zealand wine. It's too expensive to buy here, but I can find it here at one place and it's just amazing. New, New, New Zealand white wine to be, ex to be exact. But my best friend's going to be excited to hear that there is someone else out there like me who wakes up in the morning and just does not like talking until I feel like talking. Um, it did not help me professionally because I was a director and I had to be at 9 a.m. meetings or 8 a.m. meetings all the time. And I loathe those meetings. But, yeah, that two or three hours in the morning to just decompress and get myself together is always something that I definitely needed. And I appreciate it. And maybe other people didn't, but I was very honest, like, hey, I'm not a morning person. I'm not a morning talking person. I just need my own time and space to kind of decompress. But um, that's all of the big questions I have so far. Is there anything else that you would like to add or share or discuss? Or do you have any questions for me? You know, I do have a question for you because, you know, I'm an entrepreneur as well. And I, I have, um, I'm a business strategist. I've been a business strategist since I was in law school. And so I actually help um, black women and women of color build businesses, um, usually online. Um, yeah, the majority of them have been online businesses so that they can go abroad. And I'm always really interested in learning more about other and fellow entrepreneurs, you have a brick and mortar business and how that has been like for you, like the registration process, taxes, employment law, like I'm always very fascinated. So how has that experience been like for you in Taiwan? I'm in Taiwan. I think Taiwan is very, is, is good. I mean, well, well, it's been really okay for us just because the process here in Taiwan is very simple. If you have enough money, you can register. Um, and then in regards, uh, you can, if you have enough money, you can register your business. I mean, you can operate as normal. There aren't things like, um, health checks all the time and, uh, and bringing things up to code is kind of expected that you will follow those things. And Taiwan is a culture where if the people themselves walk into your business and it's not safe or it's not clean and it doesn't look well, they will review you, report you, and then you will be shut down. So people pretty much just do the right thing because if you don't do the right thing, you will get shut down. But um, the process of getting registered was fairly simple. It's literally you send them your bank statement, you the name of your company in English and Chinese, um, what you want to do and why, you submit it, and then within a day's time, are you approved to open a business as long as you 
have uh, a location. And securing a location is just like finding an apartment here. You can go through an agent or if you find a space and you can talk to the actual landlord or the owner of the building, you guys sign a contract, then they, they sign a contract saying that you can also uh, run a business out of their property. Then you submit that along with the paperwork for the pro for the company you want to start here. And then you pretty much just go from there. I think because ta Taiwan is smaller and the spaces that you'll use are a lot smaller and not as big as other places, it's not that it's not as hard uh, to secure you know land or to secure a place to actually function and run your business. So I think that's part of the reason why it's a little bit more simple. And they know that if you're an expat or a foreigner out here that wants to open a company or wants to run a business that you will have the finances to do so and that you're also looking to take it seriously and to stay in town for an extended period of time. Um, fortunately, we've, we haven't had to hire anyone, uh, so I can't speak directly to that process because we've done it in-house through myself and through people that I've hired to teach that also had part-time, wanted to part-time here with me um, at the bar um, and my, also with my business partner as well. Uh, we pretty much run the ins and out of the business. Um, and that's mostly due to COVID, to be honest. We wanted to hire a full staff, um, but six months after, six to eight months after opening is when COVID hit Taiwan. And while we didn't go into a lockdown, um, the uh, local population and the foreigners either went back home or they weren't trying to be in spaces with 30 or 40 more, 30 or 40 people. Uh, so we saw, you know, zero people coming in for five months. And then as Taiwan became more open with saying, it's okay, guys, you can go out then slowly, but surely people started to go back out and visit our location again. But yeah, the process actually is surprisingly easy. And I think that's one of the reasons why we were excited about opening a business, because once we find out, once we found out what we needed to do, it was just a matter of securing the funds and, you know, um, make sure we have a good business plan, a good business model, and then putting it into practice. So it was fairly, it was fairly simple. Wow. I love that. I love those simple stories because sometimes they're few and far between. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, I've thought, cause you know, I have, I have friends that are business owners back home when we talk about our process, they're always like, man, it was, I had to do all these extra things. I spent all this money on this. And I'm like, yeah, man, I, I was walking down the street one day and I told my best friend, I was like, hey, I like this space. It looks great for what we want to open. We made an appointment to look at it. We liked it. And then two weeks later, we all we had a business that was open and running. Um, and taxes are fairly simple as well. Depending on the type of business you open and the size of the building and your maximum capacity, they, they have an algorithm that gives you how much money in taxes you have to pay every three months. And it's set in stone. So there is no going up. There is no inflation. There is no adjustments. There is no tracking your purchases unless you start to make upwards of a million dollars as long as you're not doing that um again uh you're doing okay a million dollars a month sorry not a million dollars a year a million dollars oh a month goodness. so if you're not okay. doing that then you're then you're fine again we haven't cracked a million because if we did uh, i'd probably be uh living on an island somewhere but um another island other than taiwan but uh yeah our revenue was was okay until coronavirus well, so I wish you all the luck for your business to recover and to thrive. Yeah, and it's been it's definitely been a process. I know this has been a really big month for us because um, even though, again, we weren't on lockdown, people just weren't. Uh, Taiwan's border shut down. People were leaving the country when coronavirus first happened because of our proximity to China. So people were like, oh, I'm going to go back home because it's safer back home. And then, oop, look, America shut down for all these months now. Um, so and that was a big chunk of our, you know, of our business were the expats uh, that lived here in Taiwan. Um, a lot of them just left because they felt unsafe being here. And it turned out that where they went uh, wasn't anymore like was not the safest place just for them to go so um you know thank you so much i really appreciate that we're just excited for uh continued growth and looking forward to it as well are there any other questions comments concerns anything else you want us to kind of talk about more that we've already gone into or any other questions you have for me
No, that's it. Thank you so, so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it. Um, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to, ch to chat about my experience and about my podcast. If anyone wants to check out the podcast, you can check it out at www.flourishintheforeign.com. There's also resources there, guidebooks to help people, um, well, free freebies too, to help people move abroad intentionally. I'm releasing a little um, freebie about helping people build a business abroad. Um, just kind of like a one-on-one, -on -one, 101, just things for people to think about. Because <laughs> sometimes people <laughs> like to fling themselves into it. And I'm like, maybe not so much that. <laughs> so <laughs> there's a little, you know, a little workbook for them as well. And if anyone has any, you know, questions or concerns for me, you can definitely follow up with me on Instagram at Flourish Foreign. I check my DMs regularly and just hit me up there. Well, thank you so much for joining the show. It was a pleasure. It was an absolute pleasure having you. I'm definitely, I'm an excited. I definitely am excited to share this with the many people that I know will benefit from this directly, and just from everything you shared in your podcast and everything that you're doing. Just thank you so much. It's very, it's truly inspiring, right? And it's always a pleasure to meet a fellow Capricorn um, out here uh, doing amazing things in Spain. Uh, so again, thank you so much for joining the show. I will link every uh, all the her podcast. I'm on her Instagram. I'll link that in the description uh, to this show once it's published, everyone. So if you do uh, want to find um, and hear more about her story and the, the amazing interviews that she has, uh, you can just click the description that is linked in this podcast um, as well to find it. So again, thank you so much, Christine, for joining us here today on the Black Expat Podcast. Thank you to everyone for tuning in. Uh, make sure you check out uh, the other her stories uh, for the month of March in celebration of International Women's Month. And as always, make sure you guys subscribe, share, and like this podcast episode. Uh, thank you so much for an amazing guest, Christine, for joining us today. Um, you guys know what time it is. We are out of here. Thank you, Christine. Thank you.